1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open tonight as we refer back to these verses often. And I'm so thankful for all of the, the guests that are here, all the speakers that are going to be speaking tomorrow, and I want to encourage you. You've got to be back tomorrow morning. My friend, Pastor Kurt Skelly. Come on, we can do better than that. Pastor Kurt Skelly. One of my all-time favorite preachers. I know that you will be encouraged. He's going to preach a Bible message. How many of you know it's not about what we have to say, but it is about what God has to say? And so we're going to look to his word. And I want to encourage you to be back uh, tomorrow to hear from Kurt Skelly. It's going to be a blessing tomorrow night. Steve Miller all the way from Virginia. Let's give it up for Pastor Steve and his wife, Becky. And it's going to be a great time uh, tomorrow. I want to encourage you to be back. First Timothy chapter 6, if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen? We'll start reading in verse number 11. The Bible says this, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Everybody say flee. flee. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, he makes all things alive. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only, everybody say only, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer tonight. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time to come together to gather around your word and to lift up your name. God, thank you for your faithfulness over the last five years at Rock Hill. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the testimony video that we heard tonight of life change. God, thank you that you are still uh, reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. We want to thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I pray that tonight we can glean exactly what you would have for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, yes. how many of you have ever received a Christmas present that was completely unexpected? Anybody like that? A complete surprise? And uh, every year, my wife, Katie, she likes to get me something that I was not asking for that came as a complete uh, surprise. And this year, she got me a VR headset, an Oculus. How many of you have ever uh, done a VR headset before? And uh, I was not asking for this. I was not expecting this. I've never done it before. And I opened it up, and I thought, what is this? And, uh, and so we tried this on. We've been playing this. And uh, it's a lot of fun to put on this VR headset, this Oculus, and kind of go into another world. And and I've been learning a little bit about the metaverse. And uh, at first, when I heard about the metaverse and this virtual reality world, I was unimpressed. 
But then when I got an Oculus and I realized that in the metaverse I could carry around a lightsaber, I thought, okay, I'm interested now. That, that, that's an upgrade. And so we've been playing uh, this Oculus. And one of the most popular games on the Oculus is a boxing game. And uh, we uh, played this boxing game, and it's really fascinating how uh, up close and personal that it feels. You put that headset on, and all of a sudden, it's kind of intimidating. You have this huge guy in front of you that's getting ready to punch you, and you're kind of trying to get your bearings a little bit. And the internet is flooded with videos of people playing this boxing game. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I brought one tonight for us to check out. So check out this video. He got knocked out in real life from the VR boxing game. And uh, thankfully, there's been no real injuries at our household, uh, but we've had some close calls for sure. Uh, but, you know, playing this, this VR boxing game, uh, any time that uh, I need a break or I get tired or maybe I get a little bit disoriented, at any time I want, I can very easily uh, take off the VR and I'm back to reality at any moment that I want. But the reality is tonight, we have to recognize that we are all in a very real spiritual fight. And when we get disoriented, when we get discouraged, when we get confused, we can't just turn off the fight. There's no just walking away from the fight. There's no off switch to spiritual warfare. Uh, the Bible talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And all throughout Scripture, we learn that as followers of Jesus, we are to be engaged in a spiritual fight. Hebrews tells us that we're in a fight against sin. Jude tells us that we are to earnestly contend uh, for the faith. Interestingly, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that there is a war that is raging within our souls, which I think is fascinating because a lot of times as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to go to war against the culture. It's easy for us to go to war against another Christian that thinks a little bit differently than us. It's easy to go to war against someone that has a different opinion or preference than us. And a lot of times we are busy fighting the war out there while completely ignoring the war in here. Ignoring the war that is raging within. Uh, John Flavel, the Puritan, he said this, It's easier to cry against the thousand sins of others than to mortify one sin in ourselves. That, that war that's raging within. And so right off the bat tonight, we have to recognize that all of us are engaged in a very real spiritual battle, spiritual warfare on a daily basis. It might be a fight for your marriage. It might be a fight for your children. It might be the fight against discouragement, the fight against anxiety. But all of us are engaged in this spiritual warfare. Charles Spurgeon said this, the, trump, the trumpet still plays the notes of war. You cannot sit down and put the victory wreath on your head. You do not have a crown. You must wear the helmet and carry the sword. You must watch, pray, and fight. Expect your last battle to be the most difficult, for the enemy's fiercest charge is reserved for the end of the day. Make no mistake about it. We are called to fight the good fight. But I want you to also recognize tonight that the war has already been won. John 16, says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I don't know what 2022 holds. I don't know what is going to happen next. But I know that our God is sovereign. He is in control. And he has already defeated sin, death, and the grave once and for all. And so we reign victorious. We are more than conquerors 
through Christ. And so tonight, we fight, but we fight from a position of victory, not for a position of victory. And so we're engaged in this spiritual battle, knowing that the war has already been won. Now, we come to 1 Timothy chapter 6 tonight, and I think it's important for us to understand a little bit of the historical context and setting in which Paul was writing. And Paul was released from prison in Rome, and he's traveling to some different churches that he helped start, and he goes to the city of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus had encountered some problems that had arisen. And so Paul decided to leave uh, uh, Timothy, a young pastor there, to uh, take over at Ephesus and to kind of uh, take care of some of these problems. And Paul traveled on to Macedonia, and he writes back to Timothy, encouraging him in this pastorate there at Ephesus. And as he does, in this closing exhortation in chapter 6, he encourages Timothy to stay engaged in the good fight. And so for a few minutes tonight, I want to look to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I want us to see five ways that we can be engaged in the fight. Would that be okay tonight? Yeah. Number one is this. If we're going to be engaged in this spiritual battle, number one, adjust your approach. Adjust your approach. Now, let's pick up the text in verse number 11. It says this, but thou, O man of God, O man of God, that's an interesting title. That's a title that's only given to a select few people in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, a very few select people were given this title. Uh, Moses, Elijah, Samuel were called uh, a, man, a man of God. In the New Testament, we find that there's only one person ever given this title, Timothy. The only person ever to be called a man of God. And I believe that Paul is using this as a title to encourage Timothy that, hey, you might be overwhelmed, you might be discouraged, you might uh, not know what to do next, but remember, you are God's man for this hour. And I believe that there ought to be some men and women tonight that would recognize that God has called us and chosen us for such a time as this. He was encouraging Timothy, hey, I know you might be overwhelmed, but just remember, you're the man of God. Uh, you are God's man. You have a calling on your life. He says, but thou, O man of God, verse 11, flee these things. And follow after righteousness. It's interesting, in a conversation in Scripture, in this letter, that's revolving around fighting, Paul says, okay, Timothy, you want to learn how to fight the good fight? The first thing that you have to understand how to do is run. It seems counterintuitive to fighting, right? He says, here's what you need to do. You need to learn how to flee. But then he says, you need to learn also how to follow after righteousness, to follow after these things. And so there are two approaches to the spiritual battle, fleeing and fighting. Fleeing and following. And knowing when to do which is the difference between triumph and tragedy. When do we flee? When do we fight? Our bodies have a natural response system known as fight or flight. How many of you are familiar with fight or flight? And when we encounter a dangerous or stressful situation, our bodies will instinctively engage us to either run or to fight back. And that adrenaline will kick in and kind of enable us to do that. And I remember several years ago at our house, I heard my youngest daughter, Blakely, and my son, Luke, they were playing upstairs, and uh, they were kind of playing quietly to themselves, and I thought, you know, I'm going to crawl up the stairs and scare them, because it's going to be a lot of fun to see their reaction, and so they were playing quietly at the top of the stairs, and I kind of snuck up, and I was crawling up the stairs, and when I got to the top, I gave out a loud roar, and I scared, I, I, I screamed as loud as I could to kind of get them to jump, and my son, Luke, right away, he ran away, he just ran away, but instinctively, my daughter, Blakely, looked at me, and she slapped me in the face. That is the difference between flight and fight, right? Flight and fight. And we have to recognize that God has called us to do both. God has called us to do both. And so Paul starts and he's talking to Timothy. He says, you have to flee these things. You have to run. You know, when it comes to temptation, we run. When it comes to idolatry, when it comes to lust, that is not when we see how strong we are and how hard we can fight. 
Sometimes it's not about how hard you can punch. It's about how fast you can run. When it comes to idolatry, when it comes to temptation, we run. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee. Everybody say flee. flee. Run. Flee from fornication. Flee from sexual sin. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What did Joseph do in the Old Testament when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife? Did he sit there and kind of have a great conversation with her and try to have dialogue with her about this temptation? No. It says in Genesis 39, verse 12, and she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got him out. He ran. There's a time when we fight. There's a time when we flee. Now, specifically, if you read the context of 1 Timothy 6, what was Paul telling Timothy to flee from? If you re read in context, Paul is telling Timothy to flee from one major thing, and that is materialism. He's saying you need to run as a pastor from the love of money and greed. They thought that godliness meant gain, and I'm going to gain things. And he says godliness with contentment is gain. And so he's warning him about the love of money. By the way, this is something that Paul practiced. He practiced what he preached. In Acts chapter 20, verse 33, he said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Paul says, ministry is not about the clothes that I wear or the salary that I make. Ministry is about knowing him and the power of his resurrection. It's not about my glory. It's not about my gain. It's all about the glory of the one that saved me. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what it was about for Paul. And so Paul is telling Timothy, when it comes to the good fight, when it comes to this battle that we're engaged in, hey, run from greed. Run from materialism. We live in such a materialistic culture today where it's all about what I can gain and what I can get. And we ought to live counterintuitively to that lifestyle. He says run from it. And so he says to run from these things. But then there are times when we need to fight. When it comes to adversity, when it comes to hardship, we win by fighting. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so there are times when we need to flee. There are times when we need to fight. And many times we're fleeing when we should be fighting, and we're fighting when we should be fleeing. And we get them mixed up. And so we have to learn to adjust our approach in this spiritual battle. Now, notice Paul continues on in verse number 11. Everybody still with me? He says, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Again. Isn't that interesting that Paul is talking about fighting? And he says, you want to be a good fighter spiritually? Learn to be meek. Learn to be gentle. See, we often have a different mindset when it comes to a spiritual fighter, a warrior. We kind of have this, this Cobra Kai mentality. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. That that's my mentality. Paul says, no, if you want to be a good fighter spiritually, you're gentle. You're gracious. You're meek. You're kind. You're loving. You have faith. You're pursuing righteousness. You're pursuing godliness. I just want to encourage you right off the bat tonight, adjust your approach. Learn when to run. Learn when to swing and learn when to sprint. We have to adjust our approach. Here's the second thought tonight. Number two is this. Know what you're fighting for. We have to know what we're fighting for. Uh, notice verse number 12. He says this, fight the good fight. I love how he qualifies this fight by saying this fight is good. There's a lot of fighting in our world today. Very little of it is good. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of discord. There's a lot of division. Very little of it is good. I saw a video the other day of a firefighter, and uh, he dressed up in an elf costume, and he, and he went around uh, the streets with pillows, and he challenged people to a pillow fight. I brought a little clip for us tonight. 
Hey, pillow fight. Pillow fight. Oh, I'm sleeping. Where am I? Pillow fight. Now, see, I would put that in the good fight category, right? Uh, the good fight. There's a lot of fighting today. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of turmoil. And we can fight over all kinds of things. We can fight over political affiliation. Uh, we can fight over preferences. We can fight over our own ideologies. There's all kinds of things that we can fight over. But when we talk about the good fight, what is it that we're fighting for? The good fight. Well, Jude says this. Jude says this in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints to earnestly contend for the faith that was uh, the apostolic doctrine that had been delivered what was he saying earnestly contend for the truth of the gospel uh, earnestly contend uh, for the faith and so uh, we don't fight uh, to get ahead we don't fight uh, to win our own ideas we don't fight over stylistic uh, practices but we do fight for the truth of the gospel message Kenneth Wiest, he talks about uh, the fighting of Paul's day, and he, he was talking about how uh, it wasn't just kind of an easy, uh, uh, easy pillow fight. Uh, he was saying this. He said, the gloves of the Greek boxer are fur-lined fur on the inside, but made of, uh, on the outside of oxhide with lead iron sewed into it. The loser in a wrestling match had his eyes gouged out. The word fight had a very definite meaning for Timothy. And so this was no easy endeavor, but what Paul was saying is, hey, you need to earnestly contend for the faith and fight for the truth of the gospel. And so tonight we adjust our approach. We know what we're fighting for. Here's the third thought. We tighten our grip. Tighten your grip. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, what was that good profession? That was when Timothy made a profession to believe in Jesus Christ, to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. He says, you've been called with the holy calling. You've made a good profession of faith. You've invited Jesus Christ in. And then he says, lay hold on eternal life. Grab a hold of eternal life. Now, what did he mean? Because Timothy was already saved. He had already received eternal life. What Paul was telling Timothy is, hey, make sure that you are prioritizing eternal things. Get a grip, get a hold on that which is going to matter for all of eternity. The, 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 the phrase to lay hold on is an intense phrase. In fact, Daniel, can you come up here and help me for a second? Let's give it up for Daniel tonight. The phrase to lay hold on, it means to, to seize. No, not a hug, not a hug. I'm not a hugger. Paul was not a hugger. Timothy might have been a hugger. He saw an opportunity, and he went for it, and he was denied, okay? So to lay hold on is not a hug, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. To lay hold on means to, to seize, to grab hold of. In fact, it's the same phrase used when Peter was walking on water, and he started to drown, and he started to sink. When Jesus caught him up, when he grabbed, he seized him back up. 
Okay, and so it's not like, hey, if you want to, Peter, if you want to come to me when you're drowning, just go ahead and kind of read. No, it was, I'm going to grab you and pull you back up. And so when Paul tells Timothy, lay hold on eternal life, he's saying you need to make sure that you are prioritizing and grabbing hold of what will matter in all of eternity. Now, what is going to matter in all of eternity? Thank you, Danny. You can find, find a seat. What is going to matter in all of eternity? Well, the word of God is eternal. The flower fades, but the word of God will last forever. Thy word is settled in heaven forever. The word of God matters in all of eternity, and so truth matters. And we're living in a day and age when truth is becoming very subjective in a post-truth society where truth can just kind of be whatever you want and your truth and my truth, and we can all just kind of get along. And there is a subtle attack on the word of God today in our culture. Recently, the LA Times had an article on the Bible, and there was uh, many different people that wrote into this article. And one, one writer, Kathleen Walker, uh, she wrote in, and this is, was her summary of what the Bible is. It's a nice book of stories, nothing more. That would be a very common consensus in our world, in our culture today. The Bible's a nice book of stories, nothing more. And there is this subtle and sometimes blatant attack on the word of God. And we have to tighten our grip on the truth. Lay hold on to eternal things. Lay hold on tight to uh, the word of God. Uh, Mark Sayers, one author, he talks about uh, how the truth today is becoming subservient to the individual will. And he talks about how we're living in this post-truth society. And he said this, post-Christianity is not pre-Christianity. Rather, post-Christianity attempts to move beyond Christianity whilst simultaneously feasting upon its fruit. Post-Christian culture attempts to retain the solace of faith whilst gutting it of the costs, commitments, and restraints that the gospel places upon the individual will. Post-Christianity intuitively yearns for the justice and shalom of the kingdom whilst defending the reign of the individual will. In other words, we want the kingdom without the king. We want the blessings of Christianity. Our culture wants the blessings of Christianity today, the fruit of Christianity, while wanting to do whatever it is that we want. We see it played out all the time in culture. Uh, our family, uh, we have two young daughters, and uh, for a while we were watching the movie Frozen a lot. How many of you uh, have seen the movie Frozen maybe one too many times, right? And uh, there's that common song, Let It Go, and uh, we've sung that song many times in our household. But if you listen to the lyrics of that song, uh, there is some deeper truths that are revealed, and that are indicative of our culture. Uh, uh, Elsa says this, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. That is what our culture is saying today on a daily basis. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm fr I can do whatever I want. And we have to remember today that the word of God is truth and that Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And tonight I want to encourage you, we need to get back to the Bible and lay hold on tight to the truth. Paul tells Timothy, lay hold on to eternal life, grab onto it, seize onto it, tighten your grip on the, on the truth. What else matters in all of eternity? People. Human souls matter in all of eternity. The Bible says this in Matthew 25, 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Never forget that everyone will go somewhere when they die. If you know Jesus Christ, you will inherit eternal life. If you've accepted the free gift of salvation, uh, but if you reject Jesus Christ, there is everlasting punishment. And so we have to recognize when Paul tells Timothy, lay hold on to eternal, eternal things. 
we have to recognize that people matter in all of eternity. That's why we're having this conference, to be reminded that we must reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. The people in the culture today, that's not who we're at war against. Sometimes we act like it. We're not at war against them. We're not fighting the people in culture. We're fighting for them so that they can get reached with the gospel. They are the objects of God's love. We have to remember tonight that people will matter in all of eternity. And so we've got to get out of our comfort zone and go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. It's all about the truth of the gospel message. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, I know that you can be discouraged. I know that you can be disoriented. I know there's a lot going on, but tighten your grip. Hey, let's focus on what's going to matter in all of eternity. Uh, The word of God, people will matter in all of eternity. Now, let's keep on moving in verse number 13. Everybody still with me? He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. He says, I've got a job for you to do. You've got a calling. You've got a commission. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. He makes all things alive. Now, there's a lot of encouragement. We don't have time to cover it all. There's a lot of encouragement in that little phrase. He says, you've got a job to do. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed in the assignment that God gave you? Anybody like that? You felt like, man, I've got a calling. I've got a job that I'm supposed to do, and I feel overwhelmed. Well, there are two encouraging things in this verse, in verse number 13. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. He says, first of all, remember, the presence of God is with you in the sight of God. That his pre- Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. Not only do we have his permission to change the world, but we have his presence to change the world in, in the sight of God. But then he goes on and he says, who quickeneth all things, that, that Jesus can bring uh, death and transform it into life. That he can make all things alive. And so what is Paul encouraging Timothy with? He's saying, hey, when you're discouraged, remember the presence of God and the power of God. And so he's encouraging Timothy in verse number 13. And then he goes on. And he says, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. And so Paul kind of has this flashback now, and he kind of reminds Timothy of when Jesus stood before Pilate and he made a good confession. Well, what was that confession? Well, if you go back to Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 23, verse number one, the Bible says this. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And so Pilate said, Are you the king of Jews? Are these claims true? And Jesus said, You said it. Yes. What was he doing? He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, remember, this was the good confession that Paul is telling Timothy to remember. Timothy was a pastor, but Paul was saying, remember that good confession that Jesus made before Pilate, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah, that he is the long-awaited one. And I just want to encourage you tonight that we have to remember that Jesus was far more than just a good teacher, a good philosopher, a good prophet, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the long-awaited one. So Paul tells Timothy, remember that good confession before Pilate. Remember that we worship Jesus, God in the flesh. And this leads us to a fourth principle tonight. Number four is this, keep your head up. Now, if we're going to engage in this good fight, this, this spiritual battle, we have to learn to keep our heads up. Notice verse 14. It says this, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable. In other words, 
Make sure that you are living with a good testimony. Uh, make sure that your good is not evil spoken of. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus is coming again. Tonight, we have to recognize we fight, but we fight with our eyes on the sky. We have to keep our heads up. We have to remember that Jesus is coming again. I love when I come home and my kids are waiting for me with expectation and uh, they're looking out, uh, out the window, and when I come home, they run, and they give me a big hug, and they're excited to see me. There are other times when my kids are busy watching a show or a movie, and I come in, and they barely give me a side glance, and I'm like, hello, I'm here, you know, and, and I want them to have some expectation and some excitement when I come home. Hey, that is exactly how we are to live as followers of Jesus, in anticipation and excitement for the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and this is so important. Because in this fight of life, in the spiritual battle, there's going to be some times when we're punched, when we get the wind knocked out of us, when our vision gets a little bit blurry. That might be a health trial. It might be a difficulty that you are experiencing, some sort of adversity, some sort of ministry struggle. And it's in those moments that we have to keep our heads up and remember that Jesus is in control and that he is coming again. And right now it's like through a glass darkly, but then it's face to face. And it gives us hope to move forward when we remember he's coming again. Keep your head up. The Bible says this in Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Keep your head up. This leads us to the fifth and final thought. Do you have one more in you tonight? Remember who's in your corner. If we're going to fight this good fight, we have to remember who's in our corner. A few years ago, I went to a boxing match uh, of Manny Pacquiao, and uh, it was a lot of fun to watch Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest boxers, maybe the greatest boxer of all time. But Manny Pacquiao has always had the same trainer in his corner, Freddie Roach. He's considered one of the greatest trainers of all time. And it's been interesting throughout Manny Pacquiao's career, many people have tried to convince him to get a new trainer, to get rid of Freddie Roach. And Manny has never wanted to do that. He's always wanted to be loyal to uh, Freddie Roach. And he said this in an interview a few years ago. He said, Freddie and I, we're not only boxer and trainer, we're family, we're friends, best friends. And every time Manny goes into the ring, he wants to make sure that there is someone that he loves and trusts in his corner. Tonight, if we're going to go out and engage in spiritual battle in this good fight. And we're going to stand for truth. We're going to tighten our grip and keep our heads. If we're going to do this, we have to remember the one who's in our corner. The God that is for us. And, and as Paul closes, he's going to give Timothy four reminders about the God who is in his corner. And I believe that this is a great encouragement. Some of the most beautiful uh, poetic language in the New Testament. Very powerful and encouraging verses that Paul gives to Timothy. Notice verse 15. Are you ready for it? He says, which in his times, he shall know. By the way, his times. Can I just remind us all that God's timing is not our timing. In his times, he shall show who is, watch this, the blessed and only potentate, the sovereign ruler, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now, what are we learning about the one who is in our corner? Four things briefly tonight. Number one, he is sovereign. 
He's the only potentate. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Uh, he alone is God, and there is no one that even comes close. There's no competition. Isaiah 44, verse number 6, Thus saith the Lord, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the la last, and beside me there is no God. This is great news. This means that tonight I don't have to fear. I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to manipulate the situation. I don't have to be overcome with anxiety because I'm ultimately not in control. There is only one that is sovereign, the only potentate, the only king of kings, and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is in control. He is still seated at the right hand of the Father, and the, and the position of being seated is a position of being in control. Jesus is not up in heaven, pacing back and forth, worried about the next variant in 2022. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's sovereign overall. And so he's sovereign. But the next thing that Paul tells Timothy is that he is eternal. He's eternal. Notice it in verse 16. Who only hath immortality. Who only hath immortality. Now, it's helpful to understand the historical context because in the first century, they believed that Roman emperors were immortal. And they would live on after death. And so Paul's saying there is only one who holds the keys to immortality. There is only one. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, we have been granted immortality through faith in Jesus Christ, but there is only one whose nature is immortal, who grants us immor immortality, and that is Jesus. He is eternal. And this is so encouraging because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that Jesus is already there and that he is in control and that he is eternal and he transcends time. By the way, this is when in the Old Testament, in the book of Habakkuk, remember when Habakkuk was so frustrated with God and he was kind of complaining uh, to God and he didn't think that God was making sense because God was going to send the Babylonians to take the children of Israel into captivity. And Habakkuk was saying, God, this isn't fair. Why would you use the Babylonians to judge us and to punish us and to correct us? God, they're more wicked than we are. Habakkuk was frustrated, but you know in Habakkuk's frustration what his source of encouragement was? How he encouraged himself in the Lord? Well, Habakkuk 1 verse number 12 says this, Art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, mine holy one, we shall not die. In the middle of his complaint, he says, wait a second. We're not going to die. Uh, God, uh, wait a second. Art, art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, thou hast ordained them for a judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for a correction. In the middle of Habakkuk's complaint to God, he has a perspective shift, and he remembers that God stands outside of time, and that he is everlasting, and that is what encouraged him in the middle of a difficulty. Can I just encourage you tonight to remember that the God that we worship is eternal, that he stands outside of time, and anything that we're worried about here and now, God already knows. He's outside of time. He's sovereign. He's eternal. He's holy. Notice what it says. Verse 16. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen. This is a reference to the holiness of God. That God in all of his holiness and radiance and majesty, no one can approach that kind of holiness. That, that, that God is holy threefold. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We worship a holy God. By the way, remember that every attribute of God demands a response. That's why Peter said, that's why it says, be holy for I am holy. 
I'm thankful that, that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you've been justified, that you've been declared righteous before a holy God, that positionally you are holy. Is anybody thankful today that we've been justified, that we've been declared righteous, that we have been declared holy by Almighty God? Positionally, we are holy. But how many of you know practically we're still a work in progress? And that we still experience this sanctification journey but we are to becoming more and more changed into his image and to be more and more like the one who has called us and saved us. And so he is sovereign, he's eternal, he's holy. Here's the fourth one. I hope this encourages somebody. He's all powerful. Notice how, how he ends, verse 16. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Can I just remind you tonight that there is nothing too hard for our God. And so when you are overwhelmed this year, when you are discouraged, when you are disoriented, when you don't know what to do next and you feel like your situation is just too big and you can't handle it, just remember that we worship the only king forever, the only potentate, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is all sovereign, who is all eternal, who is holy, and who is all powerful. There's nothing too hard for him. And you have to remember, Paul is writing to a young pastor in the ministry. And Paul's saying, remember who's in your corner. See, the point of this conference is not to get pumped up and to say, I got this. The point of this conference is to say, God's got this. He's in my corner. He's not against me. He's for me. Several weeks ago, there was a documentary that came out on Muhammad Ali. And it talked about the fight of the century at Madison Square Garden and uh, between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. And when Muhammad Ali's wife, Khalila, showed up to the fight that night, she showed up in all black because she said, I know that Muhammad is going to lose. And so she showed up in all black. I know, I knew he was going to lose. She said this, let me tell you something. You've not been training the way that you're supposed to train. And you know what? It's time for you to lose. So I'm just going to sit back and watch and he ended up losing that fight and later on he he, he joked around and said that she was like a crystal ball knew, uh, knowing that he was going to lose that fight she went on to declare this there's going to be a fight that's more important than this one and if you act like this then then you'll lose at the big one can I tell you tonight that pride is our greatest blind spot so often we move forward in life and we think, I can handle this. I got this. But we have to remember that the Bible says this. We can boldly say, yes, we can have confidence. We can be bold. But what can we boldly say? The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I want to read one more verse. But before I do, would you join me in standing tonight? I want to close with this verse, remembering who's in our corner tonight. The Bible says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. Do you believe it tonight? And the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. The God that we worship 
is sovereign, eternal, holy, and he's all powerful. If you don't remember anything else from tonight, just remember who's in your corner, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.